Hi, welcome to life. We are on our second week of 2022 and we are still trying to figure out this Facebook live version of pre-recorded sermons. So uh, welcome. We're going to figure this out. If you would like, please follow along if you on you version, if you'll open up your Bible app and uh, go down to events and under events, just look for Life Church NB. The zip code here is 78130, if that helps you out. Um, if you're watching from somewhere else, you can still follow along with the message. You can see all of our announcements, and it's all good. So, um, in two Wednesdays from now, we are starting Alpha. Alpha is the absolute best course uh, that I've ever done. It's the best course that I've ever been part of. So, if you would like to know a little bit more about Alpha, you can go to their website. You can go to our website or watch this video. We all have that person in our lives. That neighbor we pass by every day outside our homes. That coworker we see at the office five days a week. Or those friends we catch up with every once in a while. People we wish could know and experience the love of God. How do we share it? Where do we even start? Deep inside, we know that it'll cost us something to open up our lives and share our faith. It takes time, vulnerability, sacrifice, the risk of rejection. But this is our call to open our lives and to share Christ with the people close to us. Because it's only through opening your life up that spaces for honest conversations are possible. Spaces where people can truly be themselves and explore the deepest parts of life with people they know and trust. That's why we're running Alpha. It's a course over several weeks where you can invite your friends to explore life's biggest questions over a meal. It's a chance for you to invite that person into an honest conversation about faith. Because when it's hard to find the moment, or the words, or the courage, you can simply invite. Alpha, who will you invite? So, who will you invite? Alpha is going to be great. All right, today we are in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. If you're following along in your version, you can see that right there. Uh, let's read that. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, like you do when people follow you yelling, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. 
And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined, joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them, to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, like you do when you're thrown in prison after being beaten. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Have you ever been around an offensive Christian? There are some people who claim the name of Christianity who are about as obnoxious as you can get. They're an embarrassment to the movement. So if you're a Karen, please stop telling people that you're a Christian. I saw this bumper sticker that I'm sure all of us have seen. It says, honk if you love Jesus. And I remember when I was a brand new Christian, I saw that bumper sticker and I was like, I love Jesus. So I got next to the person, I honked and I waved. And he waved back, but not a regular wave. It was just with that one finger wave, you know. <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker one time It said, um, if you love Jesus, tithe. Anyone can honk. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, Christians can be really offensive. And when I hear someone on TV thank God for all of their success and all of their things that they do, I always think, like, really? Or on award shows. Um, I can tell you that it's funny. Whenever I tell people what I do for a living, um, they have one of two reactions. Either... They change how they act around me, or they care completely none, zero at all, none. And they continue on with their weird way of living. So there's a good way and a bad way to be an offensive Christian. God never called us to be obnoxious, and he, uh, he did call us, however, to confront a sinful world. And there's a huge difference. So before you grab the bullhorn and say, you know, I'm supposed to confront a sinful world and run out to the gazebo downtown, um, I want to talk to you about the right way to confront culture. Because what I see in Paul and Silas is, as they're going through the city of Philippi, I see the right way to confront culture. Their ministry, their message, their presence was powerfully confrontational, but they were not obnoxious. They did not lose a chance by being aggressive with the truth, 
Um, they didn't lose a chance to preach the gospel. They actually gained a chance to preach the gospel. So people think, people tend to think that Christians are supposed to be soft or they go in the other extreme and they think that Christians are supposed to go hard or go home. Um, have you ever seen what I like to call kamikaze evangelists? Like they're going to witness for Jesus and they don't really care much if anybody comes out alive because they're going to do it. That's not the attitude that Paul and Silas have here. Uh, they definitely shook things up in this Roman city, but the people there in the city were in bondage to sin and to Satan. And all that Paul and Silas began to do was to announce that in Jesus, freedom had come. So they set the slave girl free from her bondage. And this poor girl who had been taken captive by an evil spirit and was set free in the name of Jesus. See, whenever we see someone that's set free, we think, man, that is really good news. But the people that owned this girl were not very excited about it because they were about to lose money. She was a cash business for them. And now all of that cash is gone. See, the world doesn't like it when you start setting free what it thinks it owns. The world doesn't like it when you start setting free what it thinks it owns. Whether that thing is you that is being set free, whether that thing is someone that you are speaking truth and life into, the world does not like it. The words spoken about Paul and Silas by these merchants as they're trying to to get them in trouble are so powerful and instructive for us. They said, these men are throwing our city into an uproar. Now, they weren't being obnoxious about it. They, they were just announcing that in Jesus, freedom and forgiveness and real life had finally come. Freedom, forgiveness, and real life in Jesus. That's the entire gospel. But to a world bent on its own destruction, that can be offensive news. It means that things are about to change. And it didn't end there. They did get thrown into jail, but, but even then, they didn't act defeated. They began to sing and praise God at midnight in jail and after being beaten with rods. We don't know how badly they were beaten, but I can imagine it wasn't a, a, a couple of taps. Uh, and as they do, uh, as they're, they're worshiping God in the middle of the night in jail when it's dark, as they do this, an amazing thing happens. The place literally blows apart with the Spirit's power. The jailer, knowing what happens, the jailers who lose their prisoners is going to kill himself, and Paul and Silas are there. They're just being offensive with truth, and they interrupt with love. And instead of death, the jailer finds freedom and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. These men are throwing our city into an uproar. I wonder if that could be said of us, that that. I wonder if that could be said of you, that we're throwing the, our city into an uproar. We're throwing our community, our workplace, into an uproar by being loving, by being accepting, by, by calling out sin by the way that we live. Because as I look at the church in America, I don't see us throwing much of anything into an uproar except ourselves. We argue and fight over how things should be done inside the church, and meanwhile, the world yawns and writes us off as totally irrelevant outside of the church. The only Christians who seem to be upsetting anything are the obnoxious ones. The Karens are out there stirring things up and making tick, they're getting on TikTok all the time. The church has become so disconnected 
with the world that even if there were to be a great revival in the church, the world might not even notice. So many Christians and ministries are becoming woke. Listen, I know this is a hard truth, but being woke is a demonic counterfeit to being awake. When I'm woke, my highest calling is to please culture. When I'm awake, my highest calling is to please God. When I'm woke, I profess my privilege to please progressives. When I'm awake, I confess my sin to be healed. When I'm woke, being politically correct is my top priority. When I'm awake, being biblically correct is my top priority. When I'm woke, I am saved by activism. When I'm awake, I am saved by grace and only grace. It is nothing that I can do to save myself. It is only grace that saves me. It's time for the church to wake up. Revival isn't the start of something new. It's the church waking up to something that's really, really old. In Ephesians 5.14, Paul said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. I think we've forgotten what it means, and because of that, we don't offend and we don't confront culture with the message of truth. We think, let's just be loving and accepting, and let's just, let's just kumbaya. And that doesn't set captives free. That, that makes people continue in the same path that they're on because they think they're fine. They think they're already on their way to heaven. In many cases, we become so much like the world ourselves, there is no distinction in the way that we live and in the way that our neighbors live that don't know God at all. The only distinction really is our final destination. God, they think that God is really just this great guy who loves everybody, so just try to be good, but don't worry about it too much. If you ask Jesus into your heart, you're going to heaven, so you're good. Don't even worry about it. And if that's all the church has to offer, look, I might as well stay home and watch football or, or, or go play golf or, or start a business and make a million dollars. I could do it. Um, we've either become so much like the world where there's no distinction or we become so isolated because we, we want to set ourselves apart that our witness has no effect. I heard this story, and I've shared this story before, but I heard this story about this 15-year-old boy who was shot by a gang member in Chicago. Chicago is a terrible, terrible place. Uh, this happened uh, several years back. And so he's outside right near the emergency room for a hospital. And he gets shot by gang members. He was just minding his own business playing basketball. He gets shot by gang members. And the emergency room personnel st are standing at the door. They just re they refuse to treat him because they said it's against policy to go outside. They, somebody has to call 911 in order for them to get him. And so after waiting about 20 minutes, a frustrated police officer finally stole a wheelchair, and he brought the boy in, but it was too late. The boy died. Now, I don't know a lot about hospital policy, uh, or I don't know a lot about the circumstances there, uh, but when I heard this story, I immediately thought, now that's a picture of the church in America right there. Here we are. We're all in this safe and sound and sterile environment. We have all of the personnel and all of the skill and all of the resources and all of the medicine. We have the cure for every single problem that ails every person that we interact with. And we say to the world, look, 
All you got to do, just, just come in and get well. We have the answers. If you'll just get yourself here, we'll give you the answers. But just outside, just outside of your door, in your neighborhood, just outside of, of, of where you work, just outside of your family, people are like dying because we won't go to where they are and help them in. Jesus prayed for us. Father, I do not pray that you will take them out of this world, but that you will protect them as they work in the world. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas were doing. They were powerfully engaging their world. They were upsetting things, not because they were pushing a personal agenda of confrontation. You know, I know a lot of Christians that love confrontation. I don't, I don't get how, I, I'm not afraid of confrontation, but I don't get how you can love it. Uh, if you're somebody that loves confrontation, then uh, y- you probably need to work on loving. Not loving confrontation, but just loving people. Paul and Silas were upset in things because they were announcing the truth and people were being set free. That they, they were in the world and sometimes it got them in trouble and they were thrown into jail for it. And when the culture began to make things tough for them, their response was not to retreat and go become bitter and, and be angry at society and complain about how um, you know we need to boycott this or boycott that. that their response was just to praise God and embrace it. Realizing that even that that God can even work within a jail sentence. So what what do we do when our culture begins to make things tough for us? I, I mean, you know what we do. We complain. We get mad at politicians. So we and and then we either retreat or we get really obnoxious. Uh, and and us responding like that, it just isolates us isolates us even further from the very people that we're trying to reach. Don't be surprised when our society makes it tough on Christians. What do you expect? The church by its very nature is supposed to confront the fallenness of this world. And it's offensive when you tell people that they're wrong. Of course they're not gonna jump up and down with excitement when we do that. Our mission is to upset things to stand in the midst of a culture bent on self-focus and announce that there is another who must be reckoned with, that they will have to answer Jesus. How did they respond to Jesus? What did they do with Jesus? Our mission is to do what Paul and Silas were doing, to proclaim to people in bondage that they can be set free in the name of Jesus Christ. Our lives should be so powerful and so disturbing to a lost world that people are regularly asking the same question that the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And our response should be very clear. You should be ready with an answer to that question. Believe in the Lord Jesus, repent, and you will be saved, you and your household. See, the world looks at religion and a little bit of religion kept in its place is okay. But when you start disturbing the city, you're out of bounds. You're becoming offensive. If you live authentically, you will be offensive to the world. So I ask you, are you upsetting anything? Does anybody in the world notice that you're a Christian? Is anyone ever brought under conviction about their sin because of your pure life? Not that you're calling them out because they did something wrong, a specific sin. You say, hey, you're a bad person because you keep doing this thing. What if you lived a holy life? What if you lived purely and people just saw that? 
and, and they were convicted about their own sin because of how pure you are. Is anyone ever confronted about their selfishness because you, profla- you proclaim the gospel of self-sacrifice, that you serve with a heart, a loving heart, and then people think, I would like to be like that. Is the world upset at all that you're a Christian? Have we become so much like the world that the threat has been taken away and there's really no difference? Like you have no claws, you have no power, that you are, you're just impotent in your, in your power, that, in the Holy Spirit power. You're impotent. You have no power to overcome anything because you are just like everyone else. And you say, oh, come to church with me. My church is great. And the, they say to you, wait, do you go to church? Do you look like everyone else? I'm willing to bet if you think about it that there's some areas that, that you know you probably need to get in line, that you do look like other people. Have we become so isolated from the world that even if we were to experience revival of the Spirit's power, that our connections are all gone and the world wouldn't even notice? Are you, are you an offensive Christian? Are we an offensive church? And I don't mean offensive as in the kind of offense that uh, obnoxiousness brings. I mean offensive in the way that the city is turned upside down because of the way that we love people that are unlovable. Because that's the love that Jesus gave you. He wants a, a relationship with you but a relationship that wrecks every part of your life that you were trying to keep. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, that you have called us to be a people who are on fire for you. Um, that, that where we have fallen short, where we have held on to our old life, uh, where we have had opportunities to preach the gospel but missed it, I just ask that, uh, that you will give us another chance. We know that you're the God of second and third and 29 millionth chances. Uh, and we just ask for another chance to be used by you. We want all the things that you have for us in our lives. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, love you guys. I hope to see you next week.